Villas Grace Church. Building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know Him, to grow in Him, to go with Him. We are not done worshiping, though, because worship is not just when we sing songs of praise. Worship is also when we proclaim the Word of God. And that is exactly what we're doing currently in the book of 1 Timothy. Sound doctrine and the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue along in our worship of You, bringing Your name, honor, and glory, we uplift the name of Jesus for the work that you did upon the cross for our salvation. Lord, our prayer as a church collectively is to be a body of believers that shares our faith with others. Our goal is to see people come to a saving faith in the work of Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. The story of the Trojan horse. Some of you know a thing or two about Greek mythology. Now, let's face it. This is a fictitious story. It's a myth. It's actually amazing to me because I had this discussion with our life group with over maybe the last few weeks or so. But it's amazing to me how I remember in middle school having to study Greek mythology. Yes, product of a public school, we studied Greek mythology, but we would never find ourselves studying the Bible, would we? But for those of you that are unaware of the story of the Trojan horse, it's actually a story that was first mentioned in the Odyssey, and I remember reading the Iliad in the Odyssey when I was in eighth grade. But in a nutshell, for about 10 years, the Greeks were attempting to sack, they were attempting to siege the city of Troy. Now, these Greek soldiers were not effective in their approach. They were unsuccessful in sieging the city of Troy. So what they did was this, and I'm giving you the Cliff's Notes version of the story. They pretended like they left and disengaged from the battle, only to come back later with a gift, this Trojan horse. See, the Greeks constructed this large Trojan horse, and it was supposed to be a tribute, yeah, because it's Greek mythology, so it was a tribute to the goddess Athena. The catch was this, the Greeks actually hid inside the horse. So when the city of Troy accepted the horse and brought the horse in, the Greeks were hiding inside, only to come out when the city of Troy was least expecting them to come out, and they took over the city and sacked it and sieged it. Now, this is not a true story. This is a myth. But the term Trojan horse is a term that we still use today. Even though it's a myth, we use it like it was real. And really, it's 
a term that's used to be defined as like a subversion or something that's introduced from the outside to the inside. Do you, do you get where we're going here? It's not what's outside that mattered. It's what was inside that actually mattered. And as believers, brothers and sisters, as members of the church, as children of God, we need to pay attention to what's going on here. Because we cannot let a Trojan horse into the church. And as we'll see today, Trojan horses hiding in the church today with the occupancy of apostasy and legalism. And that's precisely what we're going to see in our sermon this morning, which is titled Spiritual Deceit. Spiritual Deceit. We're going to be in 1 Timothy as we make our way through this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy at the church in Ephesus. We're going to be in chapter 4 this morning, looking at verses 1 through 5, but we can't forget what we observed last week as we closed out chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, because see, last week Paul wrote about the living God's church, because our God is not dead. He is alive and well, so it's the living God's church that we are members of, that we are children of. The main idea last week stated that the truth about Jesus should be lived out by the church. That is our job. So so really, it's the opposite of a Trojan horse, right? Because a Trojan horse gives you an outward, external appearance, but what's inside is actually contrary. The church, as members of the church... It should be all about what's outside being lived out from the inside like it's true to the outside. So who we are externally is who we are internally. And we know that we have the Holy Spirit Himself living within us. Today we're going to witness the Apostle Paul warn young Timothy as he guides this church about the deceitful teachings of apostasy and legalism. And rest assured, both are alive and well today. Let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Amen. Quite simply, as we look at these verses this morning, we're going to go ahead and put them into this one very simple sentence that defines these five verses. And that sentence states this. Apostates hate God's word that saves. Apostates hate God's word that saves. Now we're going to go ahead and get into what apostates are here, so do not worry if you do not know how currently how to define that term. But that's really what it's all about. It's all about us discussing God and His Word that brings us to our salvation. 
And what you're looking at here, which is part of these verses this morning, is an artist's rendition of cauterization that was actually performed here. It's being depicted as being performed during Roman times. See, cauterization is this. I'm going to go ahead and read this definition to you so you can understand what you're seeing right now. It's to destroy tissue using a hot or cold instrument, an electric current, or a chemical that burns or dissolves the tissue. Now, as you can tell from this photo, or actually this artist's painting, because it is from the Roman era, it's not a photo, the patient is a willing participant. The patient looks to have a smile on their faith. So when it comes to those who depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, as we see in our text this morning, it's like their conscience has been seared or cauterized. Because that's what we're seeing in the text. Those who devote themselves to the teachings of demons, they have no conscience. Because what we're seeing here is what's actually been done to their conscience. See, you would cauterize something to stop the bleeding, to prevent further infection, all types of medical reasons to do this. But once you have that scar, it is scarred forever. And we see precisely this in verse 2. But first, in verse 1, we need to heed the warning or the words from the Holy Spirit Himself. Because what does He say? He says, in later times, Some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Brothers and sisters, we are in said later times. The later times is the period between Jesus and His ascension to heaven and between that and His second coming. We're in the era where some will depart from the faith as it says here in the text. See, those who depart from the faith, that is actually called apostasy. A departure from the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel is the message that actually saves us. It's the message of Jesus and His work upon the cross. Apostates have departed from that message, which means they had to know something about it to actually depart from it. Hence our Trojan horse. Do you think the Greeks knew something about the city of Troy? How else did they know to create such a gift to a worthless goddess? Apostate Christians know the gospel intellectually. That's the reason why we're talking about the external, what's outside. They know it from an intellectual perspective, but they do not have the Holy Spirit internally because the only reason why we know the gospel and believe the gospel, the reason why we have faith in the person and work of Jesus is not because of our IQ, our intelligence. It has everything to do with the fact that the Holy Spirit resides within us and He is the one who confirms that message to our hearts. So as believers, not only should we know the gospel from an intellectual perspective, but we should also know it from a heart perspective. And then if that's the case, then we need to be conscious of the fact that our outward, external should match what's going on internally. See, 
These apostates are those who Jesus foretold of in Luke. You know the story of the seed. See, in Luke 8, chapter 13, or verse 13, excuse me, chapter 8, Jesus himself said this. He says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. See, this reminds me of what Mike Schifoni was sharing with us this morning when we sang the song Scars in times of testing. See, in times of testing, we should do exactly what Mike encouraged us with, especially as he gave us examples from his own life. We should be able to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, that was a bad, awful time that I went through, but I am so glad that I went through it. Because what I went through drew me closer to Jesus. See, these apostates, these are those who are undecided about Jesus. Or actually, shall I say that again? These are those who are not undecided about Jesus. This is someone who just flat out rejects the gospel. This isn't someone who's heard the gospel and said, you know, I'm just not sure if I'm saved by faith, through God's grace. No, these are those who know that intellectually and have flat out rejected the fact that Jesus has done the work to save them. Ultimately, though, what's being rejected then? Well, what's being rejected is what I just said. Grace alone, faith alone, and Jesus alone. That's what's being rejected. And what is the source of this rejection? There has to be a source. This rejection has to be motivated by someone or something. Now, from what we know of God's word, we know that this source is the demonic spiritual world. Hence, the sermon title this morning, Spiritual Deception. That's the source of this rejection. Apostate Christians have the backing, then, of deceitful spirits. Brothers and sisters, deceitful spirits are the real enemy. That's our real enemy. What does Paul remind us of in Ephesians 6, verse 12? He says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, we know they are the real enemy because they are their human agents' consciences have been cauterized. And that's the reason why they're able to get away with what they get away with. That's the reason why you see pastors using the Bible. They may be on TV. You may listen to their podcast. They may be popular. They may have multiple churches with thousands and thousands of members. The reason why they can get up each and every Sunday and prepare each and every lesson and totally use the Word of God from an apostate perspective promoting legalism is because their conscience has been cauterized. It's been seared. They don't have a conscience. And it is the demonic world that has done just that. I would go as far to say this. Most 
who do do what they do with God's word to abuse it for their own gain actually probably believe in their own heart that they're doing the right thing. They probably believe that they are a good person doing the work of the Lord. It's easy to think like that when your conscience has been cauterized. Now, wouldn't it be? It'd be easy to do a lot of things if you don't have a conscience. What did we hear in our Sunday school lesson this morning? Pastor Steve reminded us he doesn't commit himself to his wife Hallie just because that's his wife and he's doing it for her. No, he does it because he's doing it for the Lord, which means his conscience is set on doing what's right because of what God's word says. We know the real enemy. See, their conscience has become like scar tissue. They have no guilt or remorse for peddling falsities about the truth of the gospel. None whatsoever. What they're peddling is legalism. Now, what is, what is legalism? Legalism is salvation achieved by your own good works. Again, we learned about this from Amos in Sunday school this morning. You will be judged according to salvation on the work of Jesus, whether or not you have faith in His work or not. And then the Bema seat that Jesus sits on after salvation, we will be judged for our works after that. But that judgment has nothing to do with our salvation. And the problem with apostates and the problem with legalism, it prevents those from coming to a saving faith in Jesus. Legalism today is running rampant, especially in our Western culture here in the United States of America. There are plenty of churches that you could go to that you could find. There are plenty of churches within a quarter mile radius of this church that is going to give you nothing better than what would be considered a TED Talk, a motivational speech to get you through your week so you can feel good about yourself and your work and what you're doing. And let you know that you can slay things that are bigger than the problems that are before you now, so why would you worry about these problems when you're strong enough to slay something much larger? These are all lies. Men get crushed for the sake of the gospel. Get over yourself. I'm going to say that again. Men get crushed for the sake of the gospel. If the Lord has to crush me to bring honor and glory to His name, let it be. Who are you? Who do you think you are? If you're not ready to get crushed, God's Word's not for you. You can go find somebody whose conscience has been cauterized and seared and let them spew their streaming consciousness of motivation so you can just feel good about yourself. The point is that this deceitful, demonic teaching is based on salvation by works. See, this is every other religion except Christianity. Every other religion of the world has that message. Christianity is the only religion that says it's all about the work of a deity. Every other religion says, no, you have to do something. You have to perform to earn the deity's favor. So you can just go down the list 
Catholicism, you earn God's favor. Mormonism, you earn God's favor. Hinduism, you earn God's favor. Buddhism, you earn God's favor. Jehovah's Witnesses, you earn God's favor. Church of God, you earn God's favor. And the list goes on and on and on. Every religion of the world besides Christianity says that you can do something on your own to make God happy with you. The gospel tells us God doesn't need us. God doesn't need you. He doesn't need me, but yet He still chooses to use us to bring others to a saving faith in Him. He uses us to be the spokesperson for Him for what He has done for us. Legalism is the opposite of that. Legalism is going to tell you you can't do this or you can't do that or you did do this and you didn't do that, so therefore you are a good person because of what you have done. The Lord has drawn us a line in the sand here through Paul. A clear line has been drawn in the sand. Unfortunately, what's popular today is tolerance and love. Now, you, you, you might be thinking, like, wait, wait, hold on a second. How is it unfortunate that love is, is alive and well today? Well, it's when you associate love with tolerance. That's really the problem. See, today this line in the sand is considered intolerance and hate to be speaking what we're speaking this morning. Because in love and tolerance, somebody would say to me, how, how dare you call out apostates? How dare you say something like within a quarter mile of, of this church, there's others just giving TED Talks and motivational speaking. How dare you? You're full of hate. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. I'll tell you what's not very loving. See, Remaining silent on a subject where God's word is so vocal, that's not very loving. If God's word is vocal about legalism and apostasy, if God's word is basically telling us, you know, this Greek mythology, maybe you could look at that story and associate it with, with apostasy and legalism and see how that's trying to penetrate the gates of the church and get in through their outward, external perspective with nothing internally, when we allow that to happen, that's not loving. If I just stand here this morning and tell you things that you want to hear to make you feel good so you can get motivated to go take on those giants in your life, and you always can go back to the famous biblical illustration that's used each and every time. Well, David was slaying giants. You could slay your giants too. Or go to a Philippians and say, through God, all things are possible. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Well, if you want to apply that to you feeling good about yourself, good luck. And as believers, we don't believe in luck. But if you want to apply, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and know that God may just crush you to bring him honor and glory. That's the message I can get behind. It's not about us. In fact, if God's word is going to remain vocal and we remain silent, I would say we are erring on the side of sin. This is what we need to hold each other accountable with. 
Brothers and sisters, we will call out this apostasy. We can't allow the Bible to call out this apostasy and then remain silent. It is our duty to call out apostasy within the church. After all, all that God has created has been created to be received, enjoy, and bring Him glory as we see here in this text. The day doesn't end well for those who deny others joy and God His glory. That's a judgment I don't want to be under. However, this is only known by us who have a saving faith in Christ, because what does it say? It says, those who believe and know the truth. The very end of verse 3. See, we're speaking like this this morning to each other because we're believers. These verses should be making sense to us because we believe and know the truth. Judging by verse 4, if you look at verse 4, it's going to be on your screen here. Who are we to call anything created by God anything but good? Who are we? Brothers and sisters, who created marriage? Who created food? God did. The revelation of God's word on marriage is found in Proverbs 18.22. says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that everybody's supposed to get married. The Bible's very clear that marriage isn't for all. But there's nothing wrong with marriage. I mean, clearly there was an issue going on here that Paul was addressing in Ephesus, right? With people telling other people, no, 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 you can't, you can't get married. But we see the same thing today, too. We have confused the state of marriage. In fact, we will continue culturally, not biblically, not in the church, but culturally, we will continue to confuse marriage until we no longer even know what marriage is. The revelation of God's word on food. Genesis 9.3 Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. However, there is only one caveat. Everything created by God is good if it's received with, what does it say? Thanksgiving. So we must receive all of our food with thanksgiving. And this is something that's really simple. Do you pray before every single meal? Really? I mean, or do you just pray before the big ones when certain people are watching? You do it at dinner, at the dinner table. Are you praying for every single meal? So you can just take that little tidbit and apply it to every aspect of your life. Everything that we receive from the Lord can be received with thanksgiving. And that brings honor to Him. It brings glory to His name. And it brings us joy. We can't let anybody tell us that something created from God 
isn't meant for good. The one thing we cannot neglect, though, is what God himself said about his own creation. This is probably the most important. Because if we start telling people that they can't eat certain foods, or they can only marry certain people or not get married at all, then we totally neglect what God said about his creation. Because after all, he created marriage and food. And what does it say? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So what's really under siege by these apostates then? If we really want to break this down, I mean, really, what, what are they attacking? I mean, because I don't expect them to roll a Trojan horse through our doors to attack, like, the chairs that we're sitting on or the building itself or even us physically. What's really under siege? See, what they're really attacking is God's word. Think about our main idea. That's important. God's word is what's really under siege. See, the message of salvation is what's being attacked. The message of salvation, a.k.a. the word of God, is why we said apostates hate God's word. They don't want to see people come to a saving faith. Brothers and sisters, apostasy is our modern-day Trojan horse, but it's also always been the Trojan horse. The only way to keep apostates from entering our gates the only way that we can prevent this from happening, especially if we know that they're attacking God's word, then we must know his word, and then we must handle his word and study his word, God's word, appropriately. We can't just say this or that and then tag a verse at the end. And that goes back to what I was saying about these TED Talks. Oh, wait, 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 wait. hold on, hold on. Who are you to call out Pastor so-and-so? Were you there? I was there. He, he used verses from the Bible. If you're going to make an attack, you better know your enemy. So do you not think that the demonic realm, the evil spirits that we're dealing with, you don't think that they know their enemy? You don't think that they know the Word of God? Of course they know the Word of God. And they will take the Word of God and they will twist the Word of God and they will use it against those who do not know the Word of God because they don't want to see them come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. That is it. That is how simplistic it gets. It's about us sharing our faith in Christ so we can see people that we love or people we don't even know yet that we may meet in the future come to a saving faith in Him. The only way to keep apostates from entering these gates is to do just that. To know His Word, to handle His Word, and to study His Word appropriately, which is the message of salvation, a message from the church. Our message together, a message that we can all tell at the same time. So the answer is yes, 100% of the time. Despite what culture defines as being loving, we will call out apostasy. Because if we don't call it out when we need to call it out, we may just hinder somebody from hearing 
the saving message of the gospel through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because after all, when it's all said and done, if Jesus hadn't intervened, we would get the hell that we deserve. And this is the reason why this morning we said just this. If there's one thing that you're going to take away this morning, know that apostates hate God's word that saves. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we continue forward here at Villa's Grace, I pray that we can encourage each other to hold one another accountable according to your word, Lord. I pray that we can grow in your word so we can be more effective in sharing the truth that we find. Lord, use us to help multiply your kingdom. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody says collectively, amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.